19, Psalm 19. This is one of the richest and most clear passages on the Word of God in, in all of Scripture. Uh, we recognize 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. We know Psalm 19, Psalm 19, excuse me, Psalm 119. Psalm 119, uh, every single verse except for, I believe, two, uh, make reference to the Word of God. And there is a poetic and an acrostic way in which uh, God delivered Psalm 119 uh, by uh, his inspiration of the, the writer uh, David. But in Psalm 19, we, we know verse 1 well. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Uh, we can quote that. Uh, we, we know this psalm from uh, those verses, wonderful psalm, speaking of God's creation and general revelation. And then we come down to verses 7 through 11, and we see the special revelation of God. We see the word of God. We see the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Each and every one of those phrases speaks of the word of God. The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord the statutes of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the judgments of the Lord. All are synonymous with Scripture. In Hebrew poetry, as this is a poetic book, and it's, uh, in, in our understanding of Hebrew poetry, Hebrew poetry will, will rhyme ideas, uh, will, will rhyme thoughts, uh, uses something, a literary term uh, that we might know as parallelism. And that's what is going on here in Psalm 19 in these verses. Each of these phrases speaks to the Word of God. Each of these are titles for God's Word. The Bible was written in 66 books, 66 installments, by over 40 human authors, obviously inspired by God, over a period of over 1,500 years. It has one theme, Jesus Christ. Yes, I know there are other sub-themes, but Jesus Christ is the central, the main, the preeminent theme of the Bible. It is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We have to, once again, have confidence in this day in which we live, confidence in the Scriptures. Confidence in the Bible. We spent some time in Sunday school already uh, looking at some Bible basics and laying the foundation for a series uh, that we'll look at uh, some more specific aspects of what might be called bibliology, uh, hoping to use that in uh, the way of discipleship or even in evangelism. But we understand that the Bible has stood the test of time. It has stood the attacks of men. The Bible stands, we were, we were going to uh, sing the, the song this morning, but the, the schedule changed, and that's okay, we'll sing it another time, but the, the Bible stands. It, it stands through the, the test of time, against all attacks. I believe it was uh, Voltaire who said that in a hundred years, 
the, the Bible would be gone. The Bible would disappear. And year, within a hundred years, his very home was being used to print Bibles. Dean Bergen, I don't know uh, Dean Bergen, but I, I love this quote. He said, The Bible is none other than the voice of him that sitteth upon the throne. Every book, every chapter, every verse, every word, every syllable of it is the word of God, the voice of him that sitteth upon the throne. It is the direct utterance of the most high. The Bible is none other than the word of God, not some part of it, not some part of it less than the word of God, but all alike the utterance of him who sitteth upon the throne, faultless, unerring, and supreme. That is a powerful statement. And there is great truth in that statement by Dean Bergen. We know that the word of God continues to be under attack to this very day. We know that even within broader evangelical circles, professing Christians, church-going, religious people, even they attack the Word of God. People who claim to be followers of Jesus, who claim to love Jesus, who claim to love God, even they undermine and attack, sometimes in overt ways, sometimes in subtle ways. There are some that are on the Internet now, and you may or may not have heard of them, but there's a group of people now on the Internet who have received some measure of fame for deconstructionism. It's a very disrespectful and irreverent, and may I say in some cases blasphemous, attack upon the authority of the Word of God. Our society has, of course, descended into realms of chaos in various places, from politics to the crime in our streets and our cities, to the brokenness in our homes, Moral relativism relativism seems to be rampant and predominant throughout our culture. Some have said that we live in a post-modern world today, where expressive individualism, autonomous self, seems to be preeminent. We have become our own little gods, little g-gods. And it seems that every man is deciding truth for himself, doing what is right in his own eyes. We know from Romans chapter number 1 that man has suppressed the truth, has suppressed the knowledge of God. We talked about already in Psalm 19 that here in this passage we see the general revelation of God. God has revealed himself in creation. Romans speaks to that, the book of Romans. We know that God has revealed himself in a general way in the conscience, the moral compass. Romans 2 speaks to that. And also we know that God has revealed himself in a general way in the soul, in the eternal being of man. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where God has set eternity, has set the world in our hearts. We've seen that even on display this past week. Isn't it interesting that there were a couple of football teams and an entire stadium that was, in some cases, kneeling? And praying. ESPN, which is not a bastion of biblical truth, 
As a matter of fact, ESPN does more, even as a sports channel, seems to do more to attack the truth, to attack the gospel and attack God uh, sometimes than it does to even talk about sports. But even one of their analysts or uh, someone related to uh, the game that night, I believe it was an ESPN analyst, who led the group there on TV, on national TV, in prayer. What does that say? It says that man is a spiritual being. That when man comes to the point of helplessness, they see a need for divine intervention. This speaks to that inherent spiritual nature of man, that man is inherently religious. He's looking somewhere outside of himself when in a predicament of helplessness where there's no place to turn, no answers seemingly on the field, in the stadium. As the medical workers were going about their life-saving care, that where not that long ago there was criticism of a football player kneeling on the field to pray, two teams, national TV analysts, and practically an entire stadium are praying. It's a revelation, or excuse me, it is a testimony to the general revelation that man is a spiritual being, that he has a soul that's linked to God and that everywhere throughout time in civilizations throughout history, there have been religious spiritual types of activities. So we know that man is looking for answers. Now, general revelation is not enough to save anyone. General, general revelation is to give man a taste to want to know the truth, to give man a taste of God, a taste of the truth, to then be able to receive the special revelation of God. And while Psalm 19, the first six verses, speak of the general revelation of God, we then are brought to verse 7 where we see the special revelation of God. And we see, first of all, in verse number 7, we see that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. This title, this statement regarding the Scripture, speaks, first of all, of the law of the Lord. Law is the doctrine, the teaching, the instruction of the Lord. It is a comprehensive term for the revealed will of God. Now, we have heard it said, and I've heard it far too many times, doctrine divides. Doctrine divides. Oh, let's not get caught up in doctrine, because that will cause controversy. That will cause disagreement. That will cause division. And we just need to boil everything down to the least common denominator. And if we all just kind of love Jesus, we can hold hands and sing kumbaya. But we see here that the law of the Lord is perfect. It is necessary. It is sufficient, complete, perfect in order to convert the soul. Doctrine is necessary because without doctrine, we don't understand our duty. Doctrine demands duty. We know that principle affects practice. We have principles that we live out, that we practice. We must have doctrine. We must have the teaching. 
We must have the instruction of the Word of God to lay the foundation so that from that foundation of doctrine we can live out the Christian life. We see it in the book of Romans where Paul will spend chapter after chapter after chapter, 11 chapters just on doctrine before he ever gets to practical therefore. Romans 12 and verse number 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And then he goes into the practical aspects of the doctrine that he has just spent 11 chapters teaching. Book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3. Doctrine, before he ever gets to the practical manifestations or applications, I should say, in chapters 4 through 6. God's word, yes, it is doctrine. It is the law of the Lord, and it is perfect. It is complete. It is sufficient. 2 Peter 1 and verse number 3, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. God has given us, through His word, everything that we need for salvation and for living the Christian life. You know, much of, much of modern psychology and much of the mental health industry are based on the premise that man is essentially good and that all of man's problems are merely biological or chemical or physical. And so the answers always seem to be more education, more money, more government, more pills, more chemicals, more shots, more treatments. All of those seem to be the, the, the only solutions by much of the modern mental health industry and much of modern psychology. Many of them will deny that man is inherently a sinner in need of a savior. Many of them ignore or downplay the spiritual needs of man and try to treat everything with medicine and therapy. And in doing so, they set aside the Word of God and say that the Word of God is not capable of solving man's greatest problems. But Jesus said in his defense against the devil when he was in the wilderness, tempted, Matthew 4 and verse number 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Biblical counseling, true biblical counseling, takes a holistic approach. Often works with a medical doctor to treat the physical needs while also treating the spiritual needs of the individual. We are body, soul, and spirit. The spiritual affects the physical, and often it goes both ways. So, Proper biblical counseling sees, yes, the body and gets the physical help that the body needs through a good medical doctor, but must also see the spiritual and deal with the sin issues and deal with the spiritual issues that often are connected to physical ailments, not always. Mental health is often or poor mental health, not always, but often is the result of sin. And that needs to be addressed. Again, there's much more to this. I'm not trying to 
give us a workshop on the mental health industry or trying to declare everything and that I know it all from this pulpit. But far too much of the mental health industry focuses on simply or merely the biological or the chemical or the physical and ignores the spiritual. When we know that many times there are direct physical effects from the guilt of sin, as David himself would describe in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, about the groaning of his body, of his bones, and of his spirit because of his sin. So we know that sin affects the mental health. It affects even our physiological state. So we must understand that God's word deals with the spiritual that can in turn also help us with the physical. While God does care, obviously, of, about the physical needs that we have. As we've talked about even on Wednesday night with the message on, on Gaius and how John desired for Gaius's physical health to be as strong as his spiritual health. He wanted the focus, he wanted the priority to be Gaius's spiritual health while recognizing that he had spirit or excuse me physical needs and he wanted his physical health to match up with his spiritual health though his priority was his spiritual health. And John knew that Gaius had a strong spiritual life and commended him for it. So we see the law of the Lord is perfect. It is complete. It is sufficient. The doctrine, the teaching, the instruction of the Lord is complete. It is sufficient to meet our greatest needs, our spiritual needs. Our greatest need is forgiveness of our sin. But then we see it converts the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. Converting means restoring. Restoring means to make new again. To return to its former state. Maybe you have restored a car, or you know somebody who restored a car, or maybe you're like some of us men who we have great plans about restoring a car, and then it sits in the garage, and then it collects boxes, and before long, you have to call a charity service to come and have it towed away as you donate it after the wife complains about the car taking up too much space in the garage. And after so many years of that project, it's time for it to go away. But some get wealthy restoring cars. Some of you have been to car shows, and you've seen restored cars. Incredible. I'm not big into cars. I've watched a little bit of whatever that car show is. Uh, It's on one of the channels, and I've sat in the barbershop over here, and they had this car show on, and... They were bringing, off, bringing across 1960s, 1970s, 1980s sports cars and other uh, popular cars from those days. Incredible. The restoration and the money that was put into it and then the value of those vehicles. Incredible. This word converts means to restore. It means to make new again. And God does that with when he, when he saves us by His Spirit, by the Word of God, the Word of God can make us new again, return us to our former state. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When a person gets saved, God takes that person and restores them into perfect standing with Himself. Like before Adam and Eve sinned. 
the righteousness of God imputed to our accounts. God's word is that powerful. God's word is able to convert the soul. No medicine can do that. No therapy can do that. No shot, no pill can convert the soul, but God's word can. James 1 and verse 21, Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. We see also not just that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, but also the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimony of the Lord. Testimony means to bear witness. The word of God bears witness to its divine author, both by its claims and by its effect in the lives of those who know it and live it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Word of God bears witness to its divine authorship. And the testimony of the Lord is sure. It is firm. It is confirmed. It is verified. The divine authorship of the Bible is without debate. Oh, I know that there are people out there who love to debate it. It's on the internet. There's the Jesus seminar and on and on we could go. There's all kinds of people out there who try to debate the authorship of the Bible. Doubters, critics, deniers, they make false claims, false statements about the Bible, but God's word remains true. God's word remains faithful. God's word stands up to all of the critics and defeats all of them. Jesus Christ himself said in John 10 and verse 35, the scripture cannot be broken. So if the Bible is not God's word, then Jesus Christ is not God and he is not our savior and our faith is in vain. That's how important this is. And it makes wise the simple, not just the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul and the testimony of the Lord is sure. But we see it makes wise the simple. We see that the witness of the divine authorship of the Bible is confirmed by the fact that it can make the simple wise. And each and every one of us who are born again have to give glory to God for having taken a simple fool like me and made us wise in Christ. Only God's word can do that because we are wretched sinners. And only God's word can take us simple fools and make us wise in Christ. We could go back into church history, early church councils, where there were debates and there were, there were meetings about canonizing the books of the Bible, particularly the New Testament. But one of the chief considerations of a New Testament book was that it changed lives and provoked righteous living among those who read and adopted its teachings. One of the testimonies to the divine authorship of the Bible is the way that the Word of God changes lives. And we all sit here as believers who know Christ as our Savior, for all of us who are truly born again, we give testimony to that fact that God's Word changed our lives. There is no way that I would be doing this had God and His Word not saved my life and changed my life and called me into the ministry. 
And it's only God's word. It's nothing that I have done. I did not work my way to this. God called me to it, and it was the word of God that powerfully worked in my life, that saved me and sanctified me and called me. And there's still a lot of sanctification to do. But God's word changes lives from the inside out. Oh, there are other religious books. There are different kinds of reform programs and rehab programs. But most of those, they try to change from the outside in. Sometimes it's oppression or coercion or manipulation or guilt, various types of incentives. Oftentimes in our modern pop psychology culture, in our therapeutic culture, it's about finding the inner goodness, that spark of goodness within us and flaming that fire or fanning that, that flame of, uh, of inner goodness and then the good will just come out. All that kind of talk. And again, we go back to the expressive individualism and the autonomous self that is so predominant in our culture. But those kinds of rehab programs, self-help programs, reform programs, they don't ultimately change anything because they don't reach the heart. There is a Bible-based gospel preaching rehab program that is in various prisons around the United States. Appalachian Bible College has an opportunity with this Bible-based gospel preaching program to be in a prison in West Virginia near Appalachian Bible College. And even the secular, non-Christian prison service has recently recognized the low rates of recidivism by prisoners who complete this Bible-based gospel preaching program that is in the prison there in West Virginia. It is just one of many testimonies of the power of the Word of God to change lives. God's Word has the power to change a sinner into a child of God. God's Word replaces a love of self with a love for the Savior. Charles Darwin even said in a letter to evangelist J.W. Fegan, he said this, of course, Charles Darwin being the uh, promoter, the predominant name that we recognize with evolution and writing the book Origin of Species, even he wrote a letter to a Bible preaching evangelist by the name of J.W. Fegan. He said, we, the, ev- the evolutionists, we, the evolutionists, have never been able to reclaim a drunkard. But through your services, I do not know that there is a drunkard left in this village. That's the power of the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Profitable for doctrine. That is what is right. For reproof, that is what is wrong. For correction, that's for what, how, how you get right. And for instruction in righteousness, that is for how to stay right. That's the word of God. Hebrews 4 and verse 12, For the word of God is quick, living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
That's the testimony of the Lord. It is sure and it makes wise the simple. And then thirdly, we see the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. We see that there in verse number eight. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The statutes of the Lord are precepts, divine charges, divine orders. Some of you have been in the military. Some of you have been in maybe law enforcement. Most of us can relate in some way to a authority figure giving a order, maybe not in the same realm or level of the military or in law enforcement, but you know if you don't obey the orders of your superior in the military, there is serious consequences. I would imagine it's the same for law enforcement, but all of us have been probably in a place where we were under the authority of someone who gave us orders. And we were expected to obey them and to expect them right and to obey them right away and to obey them completely, to do the job right, do it well, do it on time. The word of God gives us precepts. These are God's orders, God's charges to us. And they are right. They are morally right. They are morally straight. They are always fair. They are always holy. They are perfect in every way. But our sinful nature resists that. And our culture says, no, we can do our own thing. We can go our own way. We can figure out life for ourselves. We can do this and we can do that. We don't need the word of God. We can figure it out on our own. And we know what the book of Proverbs says. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. How much better it would be if we just simply obeyed the divine charges, the divine orders of God found in His Word. Just obey them. His commands are for His glory and for our good. His way is perfect, we read in Psalm 18 and verse 30. And the statutes of the Lord, statutes of the Lord, they rejoice the heart. When we obey God's righteous orders, we can rejoice. They bring joy. What does the world say? The world says that you Christians who obey the word of God, you don't have any fun. You don't get to enjoy life. Wouldn't it be better to go out and party and booze it up and shoot it up and all the immorality and all the other garbage of the world that the world promotes? Wouldn't it be better, they say, to do all that? Wouldn't you much prefer to be hanging over a toilet and puking your guts out after a hangover? Wouldn't it be so much more fun to have some venereal disease? Wouldn't it be so much fun to have some sort of disease of the liver because of alcoholism? I don't find that very appealing. I don't find that fun. What about the guilt? What about all of those immoral passing pleasures that leave guilt and regrets that some people live under that burden for the rest of their life. And it's a constant struggle. And again, it's no wonder we don't have a mental health crisis in our culture when many, many, many of the oppressive issues are sin-related and are guilt-related. We read in God's Word that the Word of God, God's righteous orders, they bring joy they rejoice the heart. Right feelings result from right actions. 
We want right feelings. Actually, we live in a sensual culture where we want good feelings, constant entertainment, constant distractions from the hard things, from the difficult things, from the painful things, from the things that make us have to work. And it's so distracting and we live in such a pleasure-centered culture that even the Word of God is not studied. The Word of God is not read. The Word of God is not sat under and submitted to because it requires work. It requires thinking. It requires conviction and change. But God's Word says that His Word brings joy, brings true rejoicing to the hearts. But Proverbs 13 and verse 15 says that the way of the transgressor is hard. God's word brings rejoicing to the heart. Transgression of God's word, of God's orders, makes life hard. We are so catechized by our culture now that the word of God is set aside even by professing Christians. The word of God might be a few minutes on a Bible app on our phones. It might be a quick look at somebody's Instagram account where they post a nice carefully colored verse once in a while, or a nice scripture quote, or a quote by some famous Christian. Is that all the Word of God is to us? And I know we have multiple Bibles, but sometimes it's that last minute scurrying around before we leave the house, where's my Bible? I haven't seen it since last Sunday. How sad that that's the case for far too many the statues of the Lord are right. They rejoice the hearts. And then we see, number four, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Commandment. Once again, the meaning of the word is orders. It is charges. But they are pure. The meaning of this phrase, this title for God's word, is that God's orders, God's commands are always holy, just, and right, and fair. You know, I, I wish I could say that I, as a father, are, are fair all the time. I, I, I just am not. I just, I, I fail. I just, I can't always keep my word. I can't always follow through. I have sometimes some great ideas, or some good ideas, or I thought they were good ideas, and they just don't pan out. They just don't work out. Or, or I, I have uh, a certain set of rules or whatever around the house and, and just don't follow through and make sure that they're, they're kept. Or I thought that that particular rule or policy, I remember doing this a lot as a, as a principal, and there were always people who wanted to come and they wanted me to have a new rule at the school, a new policy. And I just, I just refused to always try to uh, rule by policy, rule by rules. There's a need for certain amounts of rules and standards, and we had a handbook, and and yet at the same time, I, I didn't want to lose relationships. I didn't want to ignore uh, people and just always thump them on the head with a, a handbook. But sometimes that's the way we think of God's word. It's just a handbook that God's just waiting to thump us on the head with. That God's, God's word is just this list of rules that we have to abide and we have to follow in this little legalistic duty and we have to go whole home through life. No! God's commandments are pure. They are holy. They're just. They're right. They're fair. And therefore are good not only for our rejoicing, but for enlightening our eyes. It changes the way we look at life. 
When we see life through the lens of God's word, it changes our whole perspective. It brings a whole new meaning to life. It brings a whole new direction. It helps us to see who God is and what he wants for us and what is best for our life that will bring him the glory. And by his mercy and his grace will even bring reward to us in heaven one day. So our eyes are enlightened by the word of God. God's word helps us make good decisions, use good biblical discernment. Without getting on too much of a rabbit trail, I, I do want to take a moment and just to warn us as believers. Because the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are everywhere. And they're pushed on us. And there used to be a day, if I can use the illustration of a golden corral, of a smorgasbord. There used to be a day where the smorgasbord, the buffet table of sins, seemed to be very small. And you certainly didn't go there. People did, but the, the smorgasbord, the buffet table, seemed to be kind of small. And now it just seems like the buffet table, the smorgasbord of sins in our culture that are just out there, are everywhere. It's just on the table, and it's placed right in front of us. And it's at our fingertips. It's on the TV. You can't even get through advertisements now without getting exposed to things that even 20 years ago were highly offensive And now they're in your face on a commercial, on a 30-second commercial between videos or streaming or whatever. And it's just there all the time. And it's like neon flashing lights from the devil saying, sin, 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 come, 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 enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. We need the word of God to enlighten our eyes, to practice good discernment. To not just get pulled into this culture and all the cultural sins and all the ways. Why is it, why is it that I can still remember something that I saw at age 14 on the TV? But people will say, people will say, oh, that doesn't affect me. I don't, I don't get that. I can remember to my shame and I blotted out what the word of God and God has forgiven me and I've been saved by the blood and, and, and God has forgiven me of that sin. But why is it that I can remember something that I saw on a screen in high school or junior high and I still have to practice the defense of the Word of God to blot that out of my mind and yet people all around, even Christians, well-meaning Christians, say, oh, that doesn't affect me. It's just entertainment. It doesn't affect me. It's just art. Oh, it doesn't affect me. It's just on such and such a channel. Oh, it doesn't affect me. It has only such and such a rating. The Word of God enlightens our eyes so that we practice biblical discernment so that our eye is not blurred and affected. Ask Kelly about what it's like, and some of you have vision problems and blindness. It's no fun. It's difficult. There's a... And a certain uh, difficulty to life that comes with a lack of proper vision. And we create all kinds of difficulties for ourselves because our eyes are not enlightened by the Word of God like they should be. We see the Word of God, the command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And fifthly, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
That drops us down to verse number 9. The fear of the Lord, we often think of it as a phrase referring to reverence for God, wanting to please God, not doing those things that displease Him. But this phrase, fear of the Lord, is a synonym for God's Word. It is a reference to the response that we should have to the Word of God. The fear of the Lord is clean. God's Word is holy. Psalm 12 and verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. That's clean. That speaks to the holiness, the purity of God's Word. The holiness of God's Word produces holiness in the life of the person who knows the Word of God and lives by it. And it endures forever. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Psalm 40, or excuse me, Isaiah 40 and verse 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The word of God cannot be destroyed. My understanding is that the Bible is still to this day the best-selling book of all time. The Bible has impacted cultures for centuries. The Bible has stood against attacks. I mentioned Voltaire earlier. Hitler himself did book burnings that included Scripture. Men and women all around have tried to discredit the Bible. But the Word of God stands forever. The Word of God cannot be destroyed. And then that brings us to the latter part of verse 9. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Judgments. This is judicial decisions. These are God's rulings. God's judicial decisions. We think of the Supreme Court. We think of courts of the land and a judge makes a ruling. And this is the law. This is how it is to be applied. This is what needs to be put in place. God's judgments are His judicial decisions. The judgments of the Lord are His judicial decisions. They are true and they are righteous. God's judgments, God's judicial decisions are truth. God's Word is truth. Jesus said, sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. We have seen courts, judges, make some very bad judicial decisions. Put into law things that clearly violate the truth of God's Word. But God's word is always true. God's word is 100% pure, can always be trusted, holy without error, dependable and faithful. We can depend upon the word of God. We can claim his promises. We can live by his principles. We can obey his commands and know that we are honoring and praising the Lord and that he is going to bless us for it. The word of God, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They are accurate, holy, without error, dependable and faithful. They reflect the character of God and God is true to his word. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 22. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Philippians 1 and verse number 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Until the day of Jesus Christ. So where are we at? Do we love the word of God? Do we desire the word of God? Notice down here in verse number 10. More to be desired 
are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Do we desire the word of God like that? Sweeter also than honey, sweeter than even the, 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 the sweetest, best food that is the sweetest to the taste. Maybe you have a sweet tooth. I think most of us do in some way. And we desire that chocolate or we desire that dessert. The dessert table usually is pretty much empty by the end of our fellowships, right? But there's leftover of the others, especially the veggies. There's always leftover veggies, but there's hardly any leftover desserts. We desire the sweets. We desire money. Oh, boy, does our world desire money. I mean, it is like the God of the land. And you get into certain places, and it's all about how much money you have and what you can do and where you can go with that money. It is just, and it, it, it's, it's incredible how much it controls. The love of money is the root of all evil, we read. But do we desire the word of God more even than money, even than the best desserts, in a sense, of life? Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. In the keeping of the word of God and obeying and applying and faithfully living out the word of God, there is great reward. It is like what Joshua wrote in chapter 1. This book of law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and then thou shalt have good success. We see the same kind of statement, the same thought here. We are warned against sin and in obeying and honoring and living out and keeping the word of God. There is great reward. You've probably heard it been said, sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. Where are we at today? As we have started now the year 2023 as our church, with the Lord's help, as we look at this theme and kind of make that our theme for uh, the year 2023, where is our confidence in the Scriptures? If our confidence is truly in the Word of God, then we will be reading the Word of God. We will be studying the Word of God. We will be sharing the Word of God. We will be living the Word of God, obeying the Word of God, and we will see our church grow in momentous proportions spiritually. I'm not talking about just numbers. We'd love to see some more numbers, sure. But most importantly, it's the spiritual growth, and it's the deep roots that go deep into the Scriptures, into the Word of God, to God Himself that God might change us and make us more like his son and give us a greater opportunity for evangelism and for testimony and for strength in this dark culture for God's glory. May we have the confidence in the scriptures that the psalmist had that was declared by the inspiration of God and preserved for his, in his word for us today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. This passage is overwhelming in its conviction and its awesomeness and in its revelation of your glory. Lord, may we submit to the word of God. May we believe these truths. May we have confidence in the scriptures and not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth. Lord, help us to 
apply the word of God even now to our hearts. Before we leave this place, Lord, may we do business with you and search our hearts and examine ourselves and, Lord, even get things right in our hearts even before we leave here. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for our opportunity to come and to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name.